Today on Ag News Daily. Minneapolis Spring can break away from the pack. It has the, the ability to do its own thing, even if corn and soybeans are not playing their part. Um, and given the extreme nature, literally having to go back to 1988. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. Happy Hashtag Market Monday here on the Ag News Daily Podcast. It is Delaney Howell, in case you were wondering, in case you've missed my voice over the past week, I'm back, Ashton. And I'm certainly glad to have you back. It was a weird week not talking to you a whole lot. I mean, Dawson and I, we did a great job. I personally think reading the markets and having some great discussions, but I am certainly glad to hear your voice. Well, thank you, Ashton. I certainly appreciate it. And I hope our listeners feel the same. But last week, I was traveling all week. So took a little break from the podcast. And I listened to the podcast. And I also thought you both did a great job. So it was great to see you guys step in and step up to the challenge of especially doing the markets. I thought you guys did a great job last week. I think I'm definitely learning. It's about time, I think, that I stepped out of my comfort zone. I've gotten a little bit better at reading the markets and having those kinds of discussions, which we're going to have later on with Sean Hackett as well. We certainly are, Ashton. We will be talking to him here about markets in just a moment. But one thing I want to make sure we ask him, Ashton, coming up here is about COVID-19 cases, because we are continuing to see quite a few of those skyrocket. Uh, China has reported 94 new local cases of COVID-19 by their Shanghai office. And we've also continued to see new cases come to light here in the United States. The Centers for Disease Control reported a six-month high as of Friday with 124,000, just not quite 125,000 new positive COVID-19 Delta variants. And so we are starting to see some concern that the economy will shut down once again. So we'll make sure and get Sean's thoughts on that here coming up in just a moment. Absolutely, Delaney. I'm excited slash nervous to see what he has to say about that. I don't think that Texas is really going to have too much trouble when it comes to shutting back down. I've talked about that before with our governor introducing, you know, pieces of legislation to prevent that. But I am nervous to see about other states and what they decide to do here at Tech. Um, I just got an email earlier today talking about the rise of Delta in our community and they are encouraging the vaccine and they're actually having some incentive programs for back to school. So I'm going to be keeping my eye out on that for sure. But another thing that I've been keeping my eye out on, of course, is the weather. And I hear, unfortunately, Delaney, that there might be a heat wave coming your way across the Midwest today. And that comes just a week before the pro farmer crop tour kicks off in Illinois. And this dry, hot weather, of course, has been plaguing some of our states. And I'm excited to see what comes of this tour. It's suspected that they're going to be a lot of variants across the state. So I'm going to be keeping my eye out on that here in the next seven days. Yeah, and I think it's going to be interesting, just like we saw the wheat tour last week put out their estimates. We're going to see Pro Farmer Crop Tour put out their estimates next week. And that's definitely going to hopefully put a little bit of a pinpoint in here for just what we're going to see coming out of the fields, because we have started to see quite a bit of rain pick up here. We're obviously seeing that reflected out, played out in the markets. Uh, But I think there's still a big question, especially if we're going to have some heat 
and we have heat during the day and we maybe don't see that cool off during the night, we could still see a little potential here for some yield impact. So maybe not a huge drop in yield, but I think that question does still linger. So I'm glad you brought that up, Ashton. But one thing I wanted to also mention here, we and we saw markets react pretty Eh, short term to this piece of news, but on Friday, we had a um, an export sale of 131,000 tons of soybeans headed to China that uh, gave a little quick reaction there. But then we also saw another flash sale reported by the USDA today. And again, quick reaction before we started trading weather news again. And today's export sale came in at 104,000 metric tons of soybeans headed to unknown destinations, aka likely China. But we really are trading weather at this point. And I think we're also, I won't steal too much of Sean Sunder because I'm sure he has more to say on this subject than I certainly do. But I think we're also pausing here a moment and not wanting to get too aggressive before we head into Thursday's WASDE report, which Ashton, if you'll indulge me here for just a moment, I wanted to run through a couple quick numbers on that front. Let's do it. So I think basically the key takeaway here is that Analyst expectations for the wise report expect cuts to corn and wheat and pretty much going to leave things alone, if not increase things for soybean ending stocks. So industry average projects about a 1.27 billion bushel for ending stocks for corn down from about 1.432 billion from last month. And similarly, wheat ending stocks are estimated to be cut in this report down to about 638 million bushels. So soybean wise, we're probably going to at least analysts are expecting that we see an increase in ending stocks about 2 million bushels. So not a huge increase, but still a slight one there. And so, so far, that's really the news that we're trading on right now. But USDA is hard to predict. So I'm sure those numbers aren't necessarily going to be spot on because they never usually are. Uh, so we'll have to wait and see what numbers actually do come out Thursday and how we react to those. Well, Delaney, I'm glad you're staying on top of that. I just have another news story here coming out of North Dakota. There has, of course, been a lot of drought in that area. And unfortunately, there has been a case of anthrax found in a cattle herd. And the disease was reported in cattle in a Kinder County, North Dakota beef herd last week. And in response, state ag officials are warning producers to monitor their herds and check with vets to see if they should begin vaccinating their cattle. And I didn't know this, but anthrax, of course, you know, survives in the soil, but it's typically activated by drought conditions. So folks, if you are in North Dakota or another part of the country that has experienced significant drought, I'd be keeping my eye out on this if I were you. Yeah. And another thing I'm going to keep my eye out on here, Ashton, is the infrastructure Structure bill or the budget bill, I should say, that's going on right now in Congress. We have received official word that Senate Democrats have released their fiscal 2022 budget resolution as of Monday morning, which calls for about three and a half trillion dollars in new spending, including as much as $135 billion for agriculture, but more importantly, child nutrition programs uh, such as WIC, SNAP, etc. So that does increase 
so far funding for agriculturally quote unquote related programs, but a lot of that is going to be geared towards environmental things like carbon sequestration, carbon tariff and tax increases, etc. But here's where here's basically next steps for this um, infrastructure, excuse me, no, I keep saying infrastructure, but for the budget itself, it's got to go through the Senate, which is Democratic ran. So as long as we see all 50 Democrats vote yes on this, we will see it go then to the House, uh, which could have a little bit more trouble getting things passed there because uh, reading through this from AgriPulse this morning, sounds like there are some folks on especially both sides of the aisle, but especially on the Democratic side in the House that have some questions and concerns about the size of this package. So it doesn't sound like it's going to be smooth sailing through the House and the Senate. We'll make sure we stay on top of this to keep you guys abreast of what is going on there with that package. Absolutely, Delaney. And I actually have some House Senate related news myself as a bipartisan group of senators led by Mike Rounds has introduced a bill designed to restrict the use of the product of the USA label. We've been talking about this label for a couple of months now, and we're starting to see some traction as Senator Rounds tells Brownfield Ag News that the USA Beef Act would only allow products that are born, raised, and slaughtered in the U.S to bear that label. There is some false advertising, quote unquote, and some confusion when it comes to products with the USA labels, because as I understand it, if we have, you know, beef that is moved in or, you know, imported into the U.S., not technically grown here, but imported and, you know, we own that meat, then it can be labeled as products of the USA, which can be a little bit confusing for consumers. So Round says that the current rules, of course, are confusing and deceitful. And he said that we think it's about time that we quit the false advertising and that the current practice allows for. We want that product to mean something and clearly consumers think it means something or else these processors wouldn't be labeling it that way using foreign beef. This bill is co-sponsored by a couple of different representatives. The legislation has been endorsed by a couple of different associations and unions throughout the industry, and companion legislation is being introduced in the U.S. House by Montana Representative Matt Rosendale. So I'm going to continue to watch out for this because, like I said, we've been discussing products of the USA for quite some time now, and even President Biden has been talking about it. So I'm interested to see what goes on with these bills. I certainly am as well, Ashton. And another thing I'm interested to see how this plays out is an interesting piece of news that came forward today. Cargill and Continental Grain Company have announced plans to acquire Sanderson Farms, which is, yes, that large poultry producer, third largest poultry producer in the nation for a whopping $4.53 billion, with a B, dollars. According to the latest press release, the two companies plan to combine their Sanderson Farms with Wayne Farms, which is the seventh largest poultry producer in the United States. I believe, Ashton, if I'm not mistaken, too, Sanderson might have been one of the poultry farms indicted in some of the price fixing scandals that went on in the poultry and protein protein industry overall as well. So it'll be interesting to see how they go in and clean up that mess. No, Delaney, I definitely think that you're correct there. It's 
certainly ringing a bell for me, but I am all out of news for today. If you are ready to chat markets. I certainly am Ashton. And like I mentioned there, uh, we saw some pullback today in the commodity markets. And to be quite honest with you, I didn't keep close enough tabs on last week's markets to know exactly how we traded. I listened to the podcast the first part of the week, but then the second half of the week, I kind of died off and got busy. Uh, but we are continuing to see some consolidation here heading into this week's WASD report. And on the news, of course, that we are continuing to have rainfall in key growing areas. Today, the September corn contract down four and three quarter cents to close at 550 and a quarter of the Dece down two and three quarters to close at 553 and three quarters. In the soybean pits today, the September contract down two and three quarters cents to close at 1341 and three quarters. The November down seven cents to close at 1329 and three quarters. Hopping over, take a look at the wheat pits today. We saw strength only in the cash market. Otherwise, spring wheat has pulled back today with the September contract down four and a quarter cent to close at 912 on the news. The December down four and a half cents to close at 8.98 and three quarters. Hopping over to take a look at our livestock markets for today. We saw a little bit of mixed trade if you look down into the lean hog market, otherwise pretty much red across the screen. The October live cattle contract down 40 cents today to close at 127.47 and a half. The Dece down 42 and a half cents to close at 132.90. In the feeder cattle markets today, the pushback continues as the September contract shed 12 and a half cents to close at 163.20. The October down seven and a half cents to close at 165.70. And in lean hogs, as I mentioned there, August really was the only contract that had some strength and of course, they are uh, pretty much nearing expiration now, so probably not a good one to chat about. But the October down the limit today, $3 to close at $84.60. The Dece down $2.97.5 to close at $78.77.5. And, and wrapping things up here with the Class 3 Dairy Milk Futures. August, excuse me, September today up $0.09 cents to close at $16.58. The October up $0.09 cents to close at $17.13. Ashton, without further ado, let's kick it over to our conversation conversation with Sean Hackett. Well, folks, as promised for today's hashtag Market Monday episode, we are chatting with Sean Hackett of Hackett Financial Advisors. Sean, thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks, Delaney. Always great to chat with you about agriculture and weather, which is two of my favorite topics in the world. So. Absolutely. So it is mine as well. And hopefully all of our listeners, if they're listening to this podcast, it should probably be some of their top interests as well. But Sean, before we started recording, you said you were thinking about a couple other things. And one thing caught my mind in particular, and that was La Nina, because we've started to see some suggestions by meteorologists that we are heading into a La Nina weather pattern. What does that mean for you and the markets? And do you agree with that assessment that we are indeed heading into a La Nina pattern? We do agree with that. It's been our forecast all year that we would go back into a strong La Nina this fall. Remember, we had La Nina last fall uh, into the winter before it faded this spring. So the return of La Nina means that weather volatility is going to continue to be very high, Delaney. And it really, so, so when we think about what that might mean for the South America um, crop season um, and what it might mean for the U.S. and North, Northern Hemisphere winter season, it means to us that we're going to be looking at all kinds of additional crop problems and weather problems that is going to continue to concern the market about production going forward at a time 
you know, when ending stocks remain lower than lower than they've been for quite some time. And that means that, you know, when it, once we get through this, you know, typical bears period for grains into the harvest period in September, you know, there's likely going to be some some upside surprises again as we move into that strong La Nina weather pattern period. Sean, let's talk a little bit more about some of those surprises that we could see later this growing season. As you mentioned, we've got to get through harvest and and that's still about a month or so away. But once we do get through harvest, you know, come November, December, January, what are you thinking we're going to see markets do? Are they going to be explosive at that point? Or are we just going to see things slowly start to move back up? Well, our base case, Delaney, is that, you know, we're not going to see the same impulsive demand from China that we saw last year. We think demand will be there it will be good, but we don't think it's going to drive the market impulsively. So I think in the beginning, it's going to be more of a kind of a grinding market out of the harvest low kind of a thing. But once we get further on into this growing season, our worry this year, Delaney, um, is uh, Argentina. Last year, as you know, the, the, the focus was the Brazilian drought and all that went with it with the second crop corn and all these other things. We think that it's going to shift to Argentina being the focal point. And that really starts to come into play once you get in the latter part of November into December. And you know, Delaney, they are huge sellers of derivative soybean products like bean oil and bean meal. And of course, they're also large exporters of corn. So we think if we would be focusing on the Argentina drought cycle this coming growing season as the reason for the markets to get more excited over the winter um, than it was last year. It was all Brazilian based. Well, Sean, you know, you mentioned Argentina too. It's interesting to see the reports coming out due to the drought of just the transportation issues that they're having to try and get product out of the country. Well, you know, a lot of it has to go through rivers and things and, and those rivers are so low uh, and those waterways are so low that, you know, it's just, you know, they're having to only navigate the deepest parts of those, uh, of those waterways, and it's just really slowing things down at a time, as you know, Delaney, that we're dealing with excessively expensive uh, shipping costs, shortage of containers. I mean, the whole the whole global supply uh, transportation chain is continues to be uh, disjointed, and and that just means product is not going to get to where it needs to be in a timely fashion, which means it pinches nearby supplies and continues to have buyers want to buy more than less to make sure they have enough to get by. Sean, I wanted to read this here really quickly from one of your more recent newsletters. You said Minneapolis spring wheat remains an enigma given its recent decline against such bullish supply side fundamentals. But you also say that out of all of the grains, it could still most likely have a strong rally. Do you still feel that way? Well, we feel you know that it has it's the market that, that I mean Minneapolis spring can break away from the pack. It has the, the ability to do its own thing, even if corn and soybeans are not playing their part. Um, and given the extreme nature, literally having to go back to 1988, Delaney, for a crop this poor in the, in the northern China, you know, in the northern plains and in the Canadian prairies, um, we still feel that there's a possibility as we approach the expiration of the September contract, when it becomes more of a deliverable cash contract, we could see some fireworks there, even if we're correct that soybeans and corn are likely to head down lower. We think there could be an alternative cash market panic trade in spring wheat. 
Sean, I want to pick up on something you mentioned there, and that would be that that so, the soybeans and corn could or will head lower here. Are we going to see that happen quickly? You know, we've got the WASDE report out later this week. So are we going to see that happen this week heading into the WASDE, or is it going to be just more of a wait and see game heading into harvest? Well, I, you know, normally the USDA does not make major changes or big proclamations in the August report. It's still early. They're not, this is not an agronomy report by them. It's more of their best guess. They start doing agronomy in the September report. So we're not anticipating that they're going to make big time changes. They could make some small changes. So we think they're going to support the idea that we have trend line yielding kind of crops supporting the market's view. And so long, unless they throw in a, a bearish or a bull surprise, which we don't think, we think the market's going to take that cue and say all is well. And typically, Delaney, it is more of a dynamic move to the downside once the market feels weather is kind of off the table. And, and once you get to mid-August, it really kind of almost is. And so we kind of think we could be entering a more hard down phase once we get through the U.S. report and the market is, uh, it, it, you know, gets beyond the point of having of, of worrying about maybe there's a surprise in that report. We think it could lead into a hard down phase heading into September. That That's typically how the pattern typically works unless there's something unusual going on like last year when we went counter seasonal to the market trend. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Which was uh, definitely interesting to see nonetheless. But Sean, what does your what are your indicators telling you right now about the cattle complex? We like the cattle complex a lot. Cattle complex has been held back, Delaney, most of the year because of a lack of throughput by the packing houses, meaning the demand's been there all year long. The margins have been there at the packing houses all year long, but they haven't been able to bring the animals through due to employment issues and just a lack of capacity at a time that some, during because of the drought, because of high feed prices, we're going through herd liquidation. That, we believe, is behind us now. We think we're going to see right, you know, feed prices ease back. A lot of the herd liquidation is behind us. The animal numbers are starting to come down, and we still see demand looking very good. And so we think that throughput problem now is is going away and so we still we, we we like the ability for the cattle market to work higher here into the fall um at a time that we think demand will continue to be strong remember cattle is primarily a domestic demand focus yes we export some beef elsewhere but it's not like the hog market where you you're really really dependent upon chinese demand to save the day in cattle so long as domestic demand is good and, and we can bring those animals through when we want to we think cattle can move higher we like the cattle market right now And Sean, last week, the USDA announced two new reports that were going live this week. Today, of course, the National Daily Direct Formula-Based Cattle Report went live. And then tomorrow, we'll see the first issue of the National Weekly Cattle Net Price Distribution Report. Do you have any insight on whether or not this had any impact on the downward movement that we saw in cattle today? I think today, Delaney had a lot to do with just the the talk that China is locking down much harder now because of the, uh, you know, the virus runaway uh, event and you know, the Delta virus having kind of a um, an issue over there and, and the worry that maybe you know that slowdown if that would induce a slowdown in the Chinese economy, you know that might really hurt the demand for livestock, beef, pork, that sort of thing. I think that had more to do with why cattle was down than anything else. I do think, however, one of the things that hurts the cattle market is that we, you know, we, we've been losing transparency in terms of having a, a 
benchmark cash contract to follow every week, meaning there's so few trades that go off every week that provide the, you know, the cash transparency that you would like to see to help guide the futures market forward that anything that the USDA can do to provide more clarity, more data points on cash, I think is actually going to bring uh, more buyers, you know, more liquidity in the cattle contract. And generally speaking, that's a bullish thing, not a bearish thing. And Sean, I want to kick things over to Lean Hogs today because we saw limit losses in both the October and in December. What's really going on there? Well, I think it's a, a confluence of, of two primary things. One is the fact that ASF, you know, they had a major, you know, China had a major ASF episode that forced them to herd liquidate, and you know, the the hog price in China has just collapsed. They're flooded with pork supplies right now. Their demand for U.S. pork is falling. Um, and then, of course, you, you then add on to that this idea that the virus is running amok in China. They're doing more draconian lockdowns. The worry that creates even greater pressure on the demand for pork domestically and further elongates the time when they're going to come back and be large importers of U.S. pork. You know, we, we really, without, without the Chinese demand being what it was last year, there's just no business for the market to be, you know, 90 cents. Uh, 80 cents, 90 cents a dollar like it has been. And so I think that that's continuing to worry the market that we may have passed the best demand base for a while. And of course, with high prices being what they have been for a while, there's no question we're going to see some increase in pork supply domestically. Uh, that's what, you know, that's what high profits typically do um, you know, when we have them. So. Well, Sean, it's been great to catch up with you and chat markets today. If any of our listeners want to find you online, where can they go to do so? Our website is Hackett, H-A-C-K-E-T-T, advisors.com. We have all kinds of different interviews, uh, sample reports, white papers, um, to get kind of give a pretty clear idea of where we come from on and how we analyze markets to see if what we do you know, might be of value to your listeners. Awesome. Well, Sean, thank you once more for coming on and talking markets with us today. Thank you, Delaney. Thank all that you do to spread a good word for agriculture. We need, you know, we need agriculture in the U.S. to be strong, and what you do provides a great service for that. again there to Sean Hackett for coming on and chatting markets with us. I think there's some interesting movement going along or coming along in the markets, at least for today. So I'm glad that we got to talk about that with him. I certainly am as well, Ash, and always great to uh, chat and connect with different market analysts who have different views. So we certainly appreciate Sean for coming on today. But folks, we'll be continuing this discussion, of course, every Monday, as we always do with different market analysts. So be sure to tune in with us next Monday and every Monday, every day of the week. You can find past episodes you may have missed by checking out agnewsdaily.com. Ash, and with that, should we let the people go? Let's let them go.